Welcome to the Expansive CEO Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Chapman, founder of Expansive CEO and X Squared Wealth Planning. Buckle in as we explore how to create true prosperity and build a business and a life that expands beyond yourself and makes a dent in the universe. Welcome everyone to this episode of the Expansive CEO Podcast Investment Friday edition. Uh, It is currently Thursday, February 8th, just before 5 p.m. to put a timestamp on the market that we're talking about today. I'm your host, Hannah Chapman, and I'm here with Brad Haynes, the Chief Investment Officer of Juncture Wealth Strategies. What's up, Brad? Hannah, not too much. The markets to a certain extent are up which is nice. Um, so yeah, that's always good to to come on a day that things didn't fall apart or something didn't spin out of control, but things were okay. So uh, I'm glad to be here. Yeah. So today, before we started recording, we're talking about, hey, you know, what's going on, what's happening in the markets. And um, you started talking a little bit about last year again, and about the quote unquote, magnificent eight stocks that blew just, you know, blew everything else out of the water last year, um, carried the indices, you know, up quite a ways, um, almost all by themselves. And talking about like, what does that actually mean? And when we're comparing, because now, right, part of the thing that's happening now is we're comparing to last year. So now we have a year comparison of all right, where are we from last year? Um, what do we expect going forward? If you are evaluating um, your own portfolio and the performance and different things like that, you might be really wondering, you know, hey, what's what's coming this year for these eight stocks, for the market as a whole? Tell me about the conversations you've been having. So I've just been a lot of clients um, and some advisors have been have been asking, um, you know, they they have portfolios they'll bring to me and they'll say, hey, will you analyze this, take a look at it through your risk spectrum and see see what comes out the other side, see what you think. And what I've noticed is a massive trend, uh, and this happened with uh, some very very popular ETF model portfolios that large. ETF providers put together for clients and advisors, um, they did quite well in 2023. Okay. So they did, their returns were very good. Unfortunately, when you start to analyze them, you find that they had, they have a heavy, heavy, heavy reliance upon the magnificent eight tops tech stocks. So all of the stocks that we were talking about last year, which which are great companies. So I'm not saying they're not great companies. They're wonderful operating companies. They they do a fantastic job with their products and services. However, the other component to that is their price. How much are you paying for those wonderful companies? And a lot some of those companies have gotten to the point where it's it's almost uh ridiculous how expensive they are, which means they're few if you buy them today, your future returns are going to be much less than you anticipate um, on those stocks, just simply because your price point, your entry point is much, much, much higher relative to their earnings. And so this is, when I analyze these portfolios and and I indicate, hey, there's a heavy, heavy reliance on these top eight stocks, 
your portfolio in 24 may not perform the way you're anticipating it did in 23. And in fact, if you roll it back even one year before then, one of the reasons 2023 was so good was because 2022 was disastrous for those, those stocks, all of them. They all uh, fell pretty pretty significantly in price. Um, if you look at Tesla as one, it fell 75% um, in 2022, did quite well in 23, and now is off 25% year to date uh, in 24. So again, you're starting to see this, this disastrous 22, really good 23, probably not going to be that good of a 24 for them simply because they're all priced for per perfection a little bit. And if that perfection doesn't come through, which probably it won't, um, it, it can harm their stock prices. So my, my comments go to um, analyze your portfolios, okay? Not just what you own, whether it's a mutual fund, exchange-traded fund, or individual stocks. Know how much of those stocks you own. Um, I looked at a portfolio and it was 100% in these, in these, had a very heavy reliance on those stocks. It had an exchange-traded fund that was technology, it had one that was large cap growth. It had one that was communication services. And it had um, some in the mid cap growth area. Almost all of those on the underlying holdings rely significantly on those top eight stocks. So while they did well last year, you got to know what you own on the under on the, on the on the inside. Otherwise, you're you might have a concentration in those stocks that you may not want to have going into 2024. Um, as we were talking before the podcast, this is very reminiscent of 1999-2000, where the few, the very few stocks, the top tech stocks, you know, back then it was Intel, Microsoft, um, and a few others that that are apps are are not not around any longer. Um, some still are, but some are not. Um, did really, really well, but they also um, eventually fell back to the earth. This year, we have some macro trends that are changing, making it diametrically opposed to what happened in 23. 24 is very, very different macro setup. You have expected lower interest rates, okay? That ex expectation of lower interest rates is going to do a couple things. One, it's going to it's going to accelerate earnings in certain areas, areas that companies that are more levered, companies that are reliant on bank financing, on financing in general, are going to find it far easier to make their earnings projections when all of a sudden their interest costs go down that fast, and so you're starting to see small caps perk up. This is a great setup for small caps. They're extremely inexpensive relative to large cap. They, they've been extremely expensive for 10 years now, um, simply because of some of the Federal Reserve actions on the underside kept, kept it where it was, it was difficult. We don't think we're going to have a recession. So small caps do very terrible in a recession but we think we're we're probably going to avoid that. We might bounce along zero or or reaccelerate towards the end of the year. Um, 
So, so that's going to be good for their revenue streams. Um, lower interest costs are going to lower their expenses and you're going to start to see their, their earnings pop much faster than large cap and particularly the top, the top eight. Um, but it, the, the setup is very, very good for small cap and for certain parts of value, um, value sectors. So, And so I, I kind of want to go back to what you said about like the, the overheating kind of that you're seeing um, in those, those top eight stocks and it being reminiscent of the tech bubble that burst in, you know, 2000 um, and really like shook people pretty, pretty heavily. Um, you know, the, I would say the generation that was retiring at that point in time, like it was, it was a really significant event um, for a lot of people's portfolios, because again, those top stocks at that time, people were like, they're never going to go down. Right. That was the feeling is like, they're so, they're such good companies. This is the way the world is going. There's no way these stocks are going to falter. And then, like you said, you know, some Intel is still around, Microsoft still around, obviously. Um, but there are stocks that just evaporated, right? Companies that totally went under and are gone now. Um, not saying that that's the case for any of the, you know, these um, stocks that we've been talking about lately. But tell me more about what you see, like what's the corollary that you see so people can start to um, kind of put this this risk into context, right? So if you are all the way in these large cap tech sector without any true diversification in your portfolio, like what what does that mean to you from a risk standpoint? And how is it echoing what we saw? Yeah, so it's very, uh, very reminiscent reminiscent of those days. In fact, when I was sitting there thinking about, and, and, and I've done this throughout the, the past year, as I think about the 1999-2000 timeframe, at that time, I had clients coming to me and they had five, four, five mutual funds, five different mutual funds. Um, and we would analyze, because at the time, it was very, very difficult to analyze your actual holdings, but we were able to do it. So- we analyzed their actual holdings, and most of it was in tech. Even some of the value, like purportedly value funds they owned, would would style drift significantly into tech so that they didn't underperform as much and lose um, assets under management. So they would style drift significantly. And people were usually pretty surprised um, by that fact. Now, usually they're totally okay with it until 2001, 2002 came around and you had the tech wreck. And in that tech wreck, everybody started to realize that diversification was very, very important. I'll give you an example. The NASDAQ 100 reached a peak. We went through the tech wreck. It was down 75% and got back to, and it took about 13 to 15 years, depending to get back to break even on that index. So, it, it can be a really important thing. Now, today, you fast forward to today, everybody has a bunch of, they, they have some mutual funds and or individual stocks, but mostly they have ETFs, which are indexed. And these indexed mutual funds or these index ETFs are usually 
uh, some kind of large cap index, cap weighted, okay, capitalization weighted, which means they have a heavy overweight in these top eight stocks. Similarly with their, their technology exposure, their communication services exposure is much higher than it otherwise normally is. Um, and, and they have all of these different ETFs that if you analyze the under, underside, they own the exact same things. Even though it sounds like they're diversified, they own the Russell 1000 growth ETF. They own the S&P 500 ETF. They own um, the Russell 1000. All of these are capitalization weighted indices that are overweighting right now these top eight technology stocks. Okay. And and I'm I'm calling them technology, and that's that's incorrect. They're actually technology or technology adjacent, meaning uh Tesla is a is a consumer discretionary, but it's it's really te a technology company as well. So I'm they're either technology or technology adjacent type um companies. And so it this reminds me so vividly of what happened in the early 2000s that that things probably won't I, I don't know if they'll go down let's just say that i do think that they could pause for a very very long time as their earnings begin to catch up with the, the price that they're valued at and so for a lot of people that have these these heavy concentrations they may want to look because they may underperform for the next few years as interest rates continue to come down. And that's one thing we talked about last year as well, when we talked about price to earnings ratios. Um, and so we could go, we could, you know, um, do a little bit of a refresh on that where, you know, what are like, what are the price to earnings ratios of, you know, some of maybe Apple or Amazon or Meta right now? Do you have those handy? Yeah, so they so that whole group ranges from twenty five for uh, Alphabet. So Google is at a reasonable uh, twenty five is not terrible, um, um, all the way up to ninety two for mm -hmm. Nvidia. Nvidia is not definitely the outlier there, but I would even say, you know, PE from Tesla is 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 even at forty four is probably um, given what their future in terms of revenue. Um, streams for the next year or two anyways um, may not they that may may be a little bit too expensive relative to what they're actually going to be able to do um, great company but I just think we're in this place where uh, people are pausing it, it looks like the demand for um, electric cars or battery BEV battery electric vehicles um, may have maybe waning a bit, may not be accelerating nearly as much as people anticipated. In fact, you had Hertz and a couple of other rental car companies liquidate their Tesla inventory because no one was renting them and they were so high maintenance. Because unlike a internal combustion engine, when you store or when, when no one's renting a car that's electric, you have to continually charge it. So it's continually costing you money, whereas a internal an ICE engine, an internal combustion engine, you put gas in it, it can sit there for a long time until someone drives it, and then and then you you can make money off the car. Well, 
like battery electric vehicles are are more high maintenance in that way. Similarly, they have very very high ex, uh, re repair costs when something does go wrong. Um, they're usually really good cars. So, but but that's always a cost. So you have rental car companies deciding not to renew their contracts and liquidate their inventory. Um, so it's a great company. I think that they're going to do great over the long term, but for the next couple of years, maybe, maybe a little bit more expensive right now than, than you'd want to have it. Um, so they're, they're pretty expensive relative to the overall markets. Um, if, if you're looking at the, let's say S and P 500 equal weight, that compares to about a 16 to 17 mm -hmm. times earnings. So 16 to 17 earnings, very reasonable, very reasonable. Okay. But again, if you're, if you're overweighted in those higher companies, you're buying these things at an average of about 43 to 44 PE, which is stretched. Right. It's and then for companies that are huge. And then for anyone who needs just a refresh on what that actually means, what is a price to earnings ratio? What is that actually right. telling you? Yeah. So it's, it's, you're paying a dollar for every, or excuse me, you're paying a certain price for every dollar in earnings. So if they produce a profit of a dollar, how much are you willing to pay for that dollar in earnings? So if you're, if someone's at 40, let's say they're at 45, you're paying $45 for every dollar in earnings, okay? So if you think of it, you wanna pay the lower amount of dollars for a dollar earnings, okay, normally. Now there's a couple of calculations and things you have to think about is how fast are those earnings growing, right? If you're doubling your earnings, well, you're probably paying 22 as opposed to 44, right? Because now the earnings will grow twice as much so then that ratio looks better. Um, but generally the rule is, is you want to get the biggest bang for your buck. And so generally lower PE um, makes more sense from a value perspective, you know, getting more for your, for your, for your dollar that you're spending um, that has kind of been flipped on its head. And it usually, it does every single time we go through a mania or a, a bubble or a massive run up in one particular area, people start to redefine what PE means and why and how you would use it to, to purchase investments. Um, mm -hmm. Some people go, well, I, I only buy the highest PE stocks because they grow the most. And that could be true, but you have to be careful because that's a very dangerous way of doing it. Whereas... Certain other companies, um, uh, like David Einhorn, very, very famous value investor, what he has done, because again, he value has been a terrible place for many, many, many years, almost a decade now. And he's what they do is they don't they they try not to rely on price appreciation in their investments any longer. What they do is calculate <laughs> between dividends dividend growth and buyback percentage how much mm -hmm. on a per share basis what's that buyback yield how much money are they returning to shareholders from dividends and from buybacks and then 
capital appreciation takes care of itself over a longer period of time. And so he's a he's done a great job. He's always been one of the top value investors, but that's the way he has determined for himself is eventually capital appreciation will come. But as long as I'm getting in a high enough cash back to my invest my investment, I'm I'm good to go for the long term. So that's yeah, that's an interesting um way to think about price to earnings ratio. Um and you know, and I've heard kind of the same too, right? Like I've seen I've I've seen investments that are at like 200, 250 PE um for you know companies that have really high growth potential and the the one thing that i have experienced with clients um over time is that you have to have an idea of when you want to get out of that investment if it's got a very very high pe and you're like you know what if i if i double my investment if i get 100% return i'm good and i'm out great that's that's a that's a good way to give yourself like okay this is this is this is what i want and when i get it i'm happy if it goes up another 100% i i already doubled i'm fine it's when we expect and i think this is what you were getting at earlier too when we expect that you know 50% 100% 200% return over and over again and we stay in it expecting that over and over again that's where it gets to be dangerous from um an investment investment perspective that hey we you might not be able to hit your goals if if you are fully invested in only very high risk investment yeah i mean i'm not full or i'm definitely someone who wants people to take risk um and 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 people clients ask me all the time about different individual stocks what i think and all those types of things and i give them the opinion now one of the things i always tell them is if they hit a home run okay let's say they double their investment right they get 100% return they double it within a year take your investment out yeah let let the let, let the profits run for as long as you want but get your investment out and let's invest in something else that way you know you're playing with the market's money and not yours. Um, and that allows them to continue to allow to, to con continue to, to rebound or, or do whatever it is. Um, it's one of the things that I see people who make a, make an investment, nail it perfectly. They can also give it away a lot by continuing to trade or buy these stocks at much higher prices. Mm. Um, had a client, bought a company, basically it went up four times within about 18 months. Um, so he, he crushed it. He, he, he literally made his portfolio mushroom. It just expanded quite, quite dramatically. But he fell in love with that position. And so what happened is he started buying more as it, as it went up. And he started to turn his four times investment gain into a, he brought it way, way down because of the subsequent trading, because they fell in love with the company and the stock and not necessarily with what the price was telling him at the time on what the returns were going to be on a go forward basis. Um, 
So it, it still made him a ton of money, and I'm sure he's still very, very happy with it. But it's it's one of the things that I've seen is you have to if you get a company that goes up dramatically, you have to understand that you're 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 running into the probability that the future returns will be lower than the ones you just experienced. Um, one of the things is with the top eight stocks that I also want to talk about is um, if, if a company is worth one and a half trillion dollars, okay, to go up 10%, they have to add market value of $150 billion. So to just, now, that easy, they can easily do that, okay? But to justify that on a fundamental basis from a revenue and an earnings perspective, you have to increase those earnings a lot to justify. So essentially, they're adding a mega cap company just to get to a 10% return. Yeah. So it's like they're spawning this, this new mega cap company, $150 billion in market cap, all in one year. Well, all I can say is we're running into the law of large numbers where because of your past success, your future success will be less just by virtue of the fact that you are so large. And at a certain point, you know, that 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 tends to not work out over time. Um, you know, people would always talk to me about, you know, back back when I began uh, managing portfolios, we'd talk about ExxonMobil. And ExxonMobil, well, everybody has to have oil. Everybody has to have gasoline. ExxonMobil can't go down. They've paid dividends for 100 years consecutively. They can't go down. Well, they did, though. You know, and so I, I would have people just challenge the, the estimate of what they think these things can do. Um, I saw a, an article um, the other day that said, and this is where I'm really wanting to hit, is... In 1990, you had to have seven people to do the job that two people in 2020 can do. Hmm. So that's called productivity growth. And that came primarily because of the innovation of the internet, right? 1990, the internet was, was commercialized and it was really starting to grow. By 2020, this is we're talking about AI. The the companies that will make money from AI are not the Microsofts, the it's not the NVIDIA's or the semiconductor companies. That's not who's going to make the most money from it. It's the companies that use AI to increase the productivity of their employees. They can either trim their workforce or they can do a better job at taking care of their clients via AI. That is who's going to make money using the technology to streamline their cost structure. That's where the most profits are going to come, which is why I think for the United States, we have a really good five to six, seven years of, of growth here where AI is going to really trim down the labor co cost and really uh, perk up some of these, some of the earnings of some of these companies, particularly small caps. And the reason why is because large companies, for the most part, already have chatbots. They're already doing those types of things. But for a two to three man company, they couldn't have afforded that right now.
In fact, the website was was stretching their probably stretching their financial their financial balance sheets. Whereas with AI, it's getting to be so inexpensive that you can use it as a tool to reach out to your client base. And so these small companies across the country that are kind of a home a cottage industry of doing various services and products, they'll be able to use AI to to do a lot of things. And so that is going to be where I I believe that you have the most impact, the most bang for your buck for the next five to seven years, where you start to see those earnings really start to perk up from starting this year, lower interest rates, but also from that innovation, that innovation wave with AI that's coming through that will really, really um, on a relative basis to, to large caps, they will, they will really drive their earnings much higher, much faster than the large companies that, to be honest, make so much money. It's very, very difficult for them to continue to, to increase it. And so to, I think that's a really good spot to like recap and, um, and wrap up here because it points back to, again, what we were talking about in that price to earnings, um, episode last year that, you know, if you can get in, right. And it's all, it's all, it feels like to me. So the way my brain works is that I see big patterns. I see the synth, you know, synthesize, how does this information synthesize with what we've talked about before? You know, we've talked about when interest rates come down, right. That's really good for small caps, um, small mid, you know, companies that rely on, on financing, um, when, um, you know, we kind of have a soft landing. We don't necessarily go through a, a recession again, supportive of small caps, um, the price to earnings ratio, right? Like again, supportive of these companies that have, have not had such, um, outsized returns over the last year. So it, it's all coming back into this like diversification, look into your portfolio, do some kind of X-ray, um, see what you're actually invested in and and see how diversified you actually are and if you are you know all in these big tech communication companies and that's that's you know like 80 90% of your portfolio that might not be where your returns are going to lie going over the next year 5 years 6 years etc so yeah it, i think that's perfect G great recap great summary all right. Got it. <laughs> well, thank you as always for being here uh, and talking with us this week. And if anyone has any questions, we'd love to get your questions and to answer them on the air. Um, you can email me at Hannah at expansiveceo.com. That's H-A-N-N-A-H at expansiveceo.com. And Brad, how can people get a hold of you? You can get a hold of me at www.juncturewealth.com. Uh, that is our website. Um, there's there's some links. Contact us. You can email me there, or you can email me directly at bhaines b h a i n e s at junctionwealth.com. Awesome. Thanks for being here, Brad. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you very much. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening and be sure to like and subscribe. And again, if anything resonated with you from this episode, I would love to hear from you. Email me at hannah, H-A-N-N-A-H, 
at expansiveceo.com and tell me about it. And if you're ready for your greatest expansion, you can find ways to work with me at expansiveceo.com and at xsquaredwealthplanning.com. That's X, the numeral two, wealthplanning.com. So until next time, remember that there is enough, you are enough, and your birthright in this lifetime is to be expansive.